foot enthusiasts, minimal footwear lovers, or anyone trying to fix your own feet, I'm heading to North Carolina this May to lead a live, in-person, three-day retreat all about feet. I'm going to be at the Art of Living Retreat Center, which is up in the mountains of North Carolina. It's so beautiful there. And are you ready to hear what I'm calling it? The retreat is called Healing Your Soul, a stepwise approach to building forever functional feet. That's so good, right? If you want to learn all about how to take care of the muscles, bones, joints, fascia, and nerves of the feet, and learn how strong feet and ankles relate to sustainable hips and knees, this event is for you. In addition to the classroom and movement time with me, you're on retreat. So there's delicious meals, a nature-rich campus that you can explore on foot, and plenty of time for rest and relaxation, all included. A retreat is a perfect way to care for yourself in the moment, but also in the future. You are coming to learn a massive toolkit of information. So whether you're a competitive runner, a dynamic ager, or a healthcare practitioner, this is a weekend full of movement for you and your feet. And like I said, you're gonna leave with a toolkit and a big swag bag that you can use to train your feet for life. For more information about the movement sessions, the food, the center, head to my website, nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. That's nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. This is the Move Your DNA podcast, a show where movement science meets your everyday life. I'm Katie Bowman, biomechanist, author, and daily hanger. All bodies are welcome here. Let's get moving. Friends, we are going to be monkeying around a bit today. I've been featured in the New York Times twice so far in 2023, and the first was for an article, Five Exercises to Keep an Aging Body Strong and Fit. That was in January. And my contribution to this article was hanging as an excellent daily practice that you could start working on right away. And then the second article came out in October, Why Your Grip Strength Matters and How to Improve It. So I give a lot of interviews, and when I'm asked about the movements that I think are not only important for bodies, but also movements that I think tend to be missing most often, I'm always trying to slide in something that challenges the strength of your hands and arms. Because yes, our modern lifestyle has left the lower body pretty weak in general, but that weakness is nothing compared to what's happening in the upper body. So today we're going to talk all about grip strength. And by we, I mean myself and my former podcast host, Danny. Danny Alexander is not only very fun to talk about movement with, she's also now a COTA, a certified occupational therapy assistant. Danny Alexander, welcome back to Move Your DNA. Thank you. Nice to be here talking with you today. How are things hanging? If you're, if you're, yeah. <laughs> wow, we've already it's our we've it's only bad. just begun. We've only just begun. Okay, tell me what occupational therapy is. Okay, the best way I can describe occupational therapy is a doctor saves your life and an occupational therapist helps you live it. So oh, did yeah. you just make that up on the spot or is that a t-shirt? I didn't, I didn't. I <laughs> But people always think it has to do with work and it has nothing to do with work or occupations and occupations, anything you do in your waking or sleeping moments. Okay. So from brushing your teeth to grabbing a pan, 
to tying your shoes, those are all your occupations. And so what we do is help you do them if you're having issues performing any of those things. Do OTs give a lot of foot exercises? No, I feel like (laughs) when I talk to colleagues about feet, they kind of just look over my shoulder and go, yeah, but I, I do have complete and total control over what I work on with clients. And so I do work with my clients on a lot of foot stuff. So OTs can kind of do whatever, like they're not limited. Do whatever. It's solve, solve whatever problem with whatever means. So, But I do know OTs deal a lot with hands and grip, especially because I think when people might hear about OTs often is in the school system because I know because that's that's a big part of the occupation of school is being able to transfer maybe the knowledge in your head into on paper or maybe now on screen so it used to require the grip of a pencil and it'd be interesting I could probably talk to you a lot about how how we are are we going to start changing how we think hands need to be if gripping of pens and pencils, writing utensils isn't really the tool of the time. So anyway, we don't have to talk about that yet. But but we get to, right? But there'll be space for that. Oh, good, good, oh, yes, good. yes. I want to, right, because I think it's important. Before we move on, I have a little bit of trivia for you. It could be for you, Danny, or it could be for listeners out there. You and I have actually talked about grip strength before on this podcast. Do you remember when that was? Oh my gosh, it was early. Maybe our second year, was it our first or second year? It was early on. Episode 61, get a grip if you want to go listen to (laughs) baby Katie and baby Danny, um, or at least (laughs) premenopausal Katie and Danny. Um, (laughs) um, September 2016, seven years ago. Holy guacamole. Wow. We've got chips. Mm-hmm. We have got chips. Mm-hmm. All right. So that podcast was about, at that time, there had been some new research being dropped about a decrease in grip strength in millennials compared to test subjects in the same age range 30 years ago. And so that was sort of a really important bit of data because also associated with grip strength is all-time mortality. So for reasons that we can speculate and discuss in a little bit, there's a relationship between your overall well-being in many different forms and your grip strength. And then there's been this sort of decline in grip strength in the last 30 years. That's why I am sure the New York Times wanted to write about it. And it's why I keep wanting to insert it because I think there's something important here. And then I know I wanted to have you on because I agree. you're actually in real time seeing some of the effects of grip strength and perhaps changing. But that's what we were talking about at that time. I remember. I remember that article too. That was good. Well, if you want to go back and listen to the podcast, the podcast is sort of hilarious because I think we spend more time trying to suss out what a millennial actually is. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I mean, that's really, the, I mean, I don't know if you need uh, to go back and listen to it, but if you want to hear us not talk so much about grip strength other than trying to figure out what something like that means, how do you, how do you measure, how do you, right. how do you figure out, all, how, how, how does someone even figure out how other ailments relate? relate to grip strength. Mm-hmm. All right. So why should people be concerned about grip, grip strength? What's your 
professional opinion? Oh my gosh. So I'm coming at it from the the pediatric point of view, right? So I'm seeing where that lack of development starts. Mm-hmm. And so I see it as a concern. I don't think about it in longevity as so much now as quality of life from what I see. And so somebody with poor grip strength, which basically translates into, you know, poor intrinsic or the muscles inside our hands moving our hands. When I see that, I see kids that can't button their shirts and get frustrated. And then, you know, their parents are like dressing for them just to get them out the door. So they've got no practice in that. They can't hold on to pencils and kids still do have to use pencils, right? Not as much as we'd like, but it's still, they still have to use them. And they, so they're being, you know, maybe categorized as having a learning disability when they may not really have dysgraphia or something like that. They just, their hands tired Mm. and they can't keep up with the teacher. So everyday activities, even just, you know, you want your kiddo to brush your teeth for two rounds of happy birthday and they might be using more of their shoulder to help them make those movements of brushing their teeth. So that means they might have shoulder problems when really we're not, we don't want to engage our shoulders to do something like that. So I see like this whole broad, it's almost like being a fortune teller and you don't like what the future's holding because you see that people are going to have less ability to do their everyday things that they need to get on through life. So part of it's exciting because I think, well, we can make a difference if we see this happening. But part of it too is kind of, well, <laughs> you can make it. You can make an inner. You can uh, make a difference if you can intervene. Right. Part of intervention, I think, is just like awareness. Correct. That's so, right. And that's why we're doing this. Right. So exactly. Kudos to you. Well, kudos to you for coming on. So let's talk about therapeutically. What do you do for children in this case? Simply, like no, simply, be- sure. No, there's like a million different interventions. So weighted pencils. You're like, okay, here's your seven pound pencil. Okay, so, so this is what I love. You and I both were '70s kids, right? We're Gen, <laughs> we're Gen Xers. So even though for some reason my daughter's generation calls me Boomer, and I'm like, no, you're so, <laughs> so uh. off there. You're wrong. Okay, so you and I are Gen Xers. We grew up with, remember the giant pencils that were so big, you had to kind of like lay them on your shoulder, right, to write? They were so big. And we kind of do that. We give kids bigger things like big crayons, big pencils, thinking, well, this will make it easier for them to do this coloring book or whatever. And the, uh, the opposite is true. So giving a little child... A regular size crayon is better at developing their intrinsic hand strength. Like you don't need to give them something more giant, even toys, you know, even toys have become more giant. And I understand you don't want to give a little kid Legos because they might eat them, but you also, you know, I don't know if you need to give them the giant Legos either that their hands could just kind of clomp onto. So you just work within the, the, let them touch everyday things that are small right? Like, just like you and I, instead of going to the grocery store and pushing a cart, you and I are going to like carry a basket or carry our groceries in our hands to, to help develop that arm strength, that upper body strength and the hand grip. Well, little kids, we can do the same for them. You know, we can have them carry things, believe it or not. Well, you're, I mean, I mean, I know you believe me, but, but yes, yes, yes. People, <laughs> 
we just, we don't really expect those kinds of things. So I think playing with everyday small things and, and letting them struggle, like letting them struggle during a task where they really have to use their hands and it might be frustrating for them, helping them with it, but letting them struggle a little bit because that's kind of okay too. That's how we learn to problem solve. I think one of the greatest things you can give a kid is Play-Doh. Okay. It really is for for increasing that intrinsic hand strength. One, because they're not going to be bored with it. They're going to play with it for a long time because of the possibilities. And two, there's so many different ways you can use it in your hand to develop that that intrinsic hand strength, which leads to to stronger grip. Okay. So I hear a couple of things. One is the idea that that maybe it's a misconception that little kids need chunkier things because they don't have the fine motor skills. So we'll give them bigger size things. But of course, then if the Duplo, the big block, sorry, brand name drop, I shouldn't have <laughs> named anybody. If you pick the bigger block, that that really prevents going through a fuller range of motion of the hand. And if you have a smaller one, yes, fine motor skill is needed, but then that's also the canvas for learning. It's the canvas for developing that ability. Correct. That's exactly what I said. So yes, thank you for saying it <laughs> simply and direct. And then also just something simple like more Play-Doh play. I, I don't see Play-Doh around the way that I used to see play When I was a kid, I feel like I was still seeing Play-Doh coming out when I was like 10 and 12. It was much more mm-hmm. of a, I can still smell it. Oh yeah. And there's nothing like a fresh can of, of Play-Doh oh, cracked open. Yes. I love Play-Doh. I, actually, I, am I, I'm just imagining squeezing it in my hands. I would probably enjoy doing that with my hands right now. What about for adults? Because I, when I had done this interview, I always prefer interviews like when I'm giving exercises. Like Exercise tends to be such in the fitness and the therapeutic mm-hmm. realms that very rarely do publications want to include it's like a fitness column. They're like, we're talking about bodies in the fitness column, and that's where we talk about it. You know, and I was talking about making bread and gripping your cast iron pan to actually mm-hmm. test the range of motion of your the strength of your wrist and your hands operating together to see if it was a problem for you. Because I think that people can relate to some of the real world examples of where they might look to getting it more or seeing if it's an issue for them. Right. Do you, I know you do mostly pediatrics, but do you know also of, oh, we don't have to call it play, but clay therapy or other sort of needing therapy? Absolutely. Absolutely. There is actually like an adult, it's called TheraPutty, and I'm sure you've seen it. And I think they developed it originally. <laughs> of course it for, is. <laughs> um, I think they originally developed it for uh, stroke survivors to help mm-hmm. get, you know, some mobility back in, in hands that are affected. But I use it with kids because it comes in different densities, which make it more difficult as you move through the colors. Mm. And, and it doesn't have the weird Play-Doh smell or the good Play-Doh smell, depending on what camp you're in. But it's that's something that works in so many levels, and it's so cool. One, it strengthens your hands. You can just fool with it. You can pull it. You can twist it. You can grip it. You can stick your fingers in one by one and work on individual dexterity and individual finger strength. But also, it involves, and this is something that I think is really missing from both the pediatric, from the young standpoint and older standpoint, is it, it involves sensory input. 
And the less things we touch, as you know, you know, the the less that we we don't have those receptors to respond to that touch. And so things might become abhorrent or awful or repugnant to us because we're not accustomed to them. If you always hold a smooth stainless steel, you know, cell phone in your hand in a certain way, then when you grab, you know, something like a yam that's overgrown with a bunch of eyes or whatever on it, and you might just be like, what is that? Instead of like really feeling it. So, and that's something like with move your DNA, you know, I still like to go outside and feel the wind rustle the hair on my arms. Because I know how important that is. And vitamin texture too, right? It's just it another, it's, it's vitamin right. texture like for the feet in the same reason that we're like in the camp. There's, we don't know everything. I mean, we don't know close to anything, but you know, the idea of texture as being this necessary input for the feet, for the hands. And then also like what you're talking about is becoming not able to tolerate different textures. Mm-hmm. Like that shows up in, in eating. Totally. Like in, in, in oral issues like the ability to not process textures where your tongue in this case is standing in for your hands or your feet the idea to take in something that requires you to move around it in a different way and um correct yeah what are what is the environment of what are the surfaces the hand surfaces kids are more accustomed now accustomed to now than before playstation controller (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 right. That's right. about it. That's about it. I have I have kids that their little hands are kind of permanently shaped in that that PlayStation controller grip. But back to your question of like adults, I think just having those, you know, like we used to talk about, you know, like carrying that bag of groceries or carrying those groceries. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different ball game and like I challenge anybody to just go to the store and do this instead of pushing that cart, just try and hold some stuff. And you might be really tired by the time you get to the third aisle or whatever because you're you're just not used to it. But I think it's a good idea to keep doing that. And floor time is huge for that hand strength. What do you mean floor time? Well, so being on the floor, being in quadruped and oh, being yes, on the loading floor, on the wrists. Right. Is really huge. And last year the CDC removed that that crawling milestone from the sheets they give out at the pediatric visits like here's where your kid should be well crawling's no longer there how come because the cdc says they didn't have the comprehensive data to back it up like they did with Mm -hmm. walking Mm -hmm. i understand that from a scientific standpoint however from a developmental and realistic standpoint i don't think it was good because i think crawling is important for every piece of a child's development into, you know, an adult human being and the things that they they do. So that's kind of been therapists kind of cringe about that being taken out of the vernacular, the common vernacular of, oh, well, this is a milestone because it's, it is important. And so I think as adults, we don't value that, that wrist loading, that arm loading, that hand loading, that that is so important. But I say that's one of the everyday things a person can do is just get get down on it, get down on the floor and push yourself back up over and over again. Well, that was one of my recommendations, you know, in this interview mm-hmm. uh, for how can you kind of generally assess how your hands are moving. This wasn't only about grip, but just like functional, how functional are your hands and being able to just get down like uh, 
on hands and knees with, ex- you know, wrist extension is the technical term for what your wrists have to do. You know, they have to bend back to about 90 degrees for you to be able to be on the ground in most cases. And for those who go to movement classes or teach movement classes, I can definitely see the decline of people being able to do that in almost everyone in an exercise class where that's the weakest part of the body is the wrist. You know, like the shoulders are strong enough, the core is strong enough to do all sorts of other advanced exercises, but not the wrists. Mm-hmm. And and so again, it's one of these things like this this piece of our body that isn't working and we're trying to exercise around it. And I think that you made a very important distinction. It was different than what I was saying earlier, but I really appreciate this distinction where an occupational therapist isn't thinking about longevity per se. So where people might be concerned with grip strength because of its relationship to all-time mortality. Mm-hmm. You're saying, well, there's a separate issue of not being able to use your hands in everyday life right now. It has, And I think that that's a brilliant distinction. And it makes me think of, I was talking to one of our common friends who's a movement teacher and had gone backpacking with her mother, who's in her 80s. She often goes backpacking with her mother in her 80s. But her mother had gone on a backpacking trip with peers, friends, Mm. where her family wasn't there to sort of, you know, quickly whipping up tents and, you know, opening and closing things where she just sort of could benefit from a lot without having to do as much. But when she went on her own, she was struggling to open the bear can with the quarter. And that was like a practical thing that she did not realize she had lost the ability to do. And so many of these things with our hands, like they show up not they definitely show up every day, but sometimes there's just this outlying thing that you do that you don't maintain every day, like a rip twist, you know, like a wrist right. rotation or, you know, using a particular tool. And then when it came to be able to use it, she had been doing exercises for backpacking, hiking mm-hmm. up and down the mountain, carrying a load, but she hadn't thought to exercise her hands where that, though, was key to getting food, you know, or doing some other essential task. Correct. I want to keep talking about pediatrics, although I think it's important for everyone and can apply it really. Well, it applies across the it, whole. It does. It does. Yeah. I want to ask about, I want to go back to pediatrics and big body movement. Mm-hmm. Um, Good. How, so, so, right, there is this, and I feel with this, with these articles too on grip strength, so often the conclusion is, well, I'll go get one of those grippers, right? I'll just do Play-Doh. I'll squeeze. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll do my hands. like, and that's. But that's really, that's not what I or really anyone else in the article is recommending, that really you don't want to be only strengthening your hands, that the way we use our hands is in this functional hand-to-ribcage motion. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you do for big, is there a big body way of working on grip strength for children even? So, well, of course, you know, there's always hanging, which is fun. Monkey bars, kids love monkey bars. But I see, well, I guess that's a tricky one because when I usually see trouble is that kids are using too much big body movements to do small hand tasks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they'll be using their shoulders or their entire trunk or torso you know, the shoulder girdle to do something that really you would just be doing from the elbow down or the wrist down if you had that that mobility and hand strength. 
so for big ones, I, I have kids crawl and I've crawling even when they're older is essential. Mm -hmm. I have kids, kids that are in school all day long and I don't see them at school. I see them after and I'll say, Hey, let's play this game. And I'll get down on the floor and they'll go, can we get on the table? Can we Mm -hmm. play on the table? And like, no, you've been in a chair for eight hours. Let's get down on the floor and play. And sometimes they struggle, but even just doing that, like getting down, and I'm not talking about kids, like you and your partner can get down on the floor and play backgammon, right, together. Something that's going to distract you from this possible potential temporary discomfort that you feel in your shoulders, neck, wrists, or elbows, or arms. But so you distract yourself with doing something like, hey, let's get down and sort through the photos that we've been looking, you know, to do forever and and just get out of of course that chair. So that's mm-hmm. that's an easy big body way to work on on hand strength for both kids and adults. And then hanging like you said, you know, good old monkey bars. Yeah. If you don't have grip strength and you're compensating with your shoulders, I feel like the grip strength's still going to be challenged on something where the load is so high on the hands where, where you're actually dealing with grip. Right. And also maybe I mean, so many playgrounds have cool designs now where you're meant to grab ropes, mm-hmm. help yourself move through those. I always did obstacle courses for my kids when they're little, just like, like you know, there's pictures of the ladders that we would put up specifically so they would be right using their hands. And so basically what I hear you is saying that like on my next date night, I should be setting one up for all like the special grown up in my life. Guess what? We're going to play backgammon <laughs> on the ground and then That's we're going right. to and then we're going to crawl around on some ladders. Is that official? I mean, advice? It's, it's it's official advice because it's not exercise, right? It's yeah. not a t- it's not a task, it's no. an activity that is disguised, you know. It's like broccoli and the brownies. It's like yeah. it, it's a way to get past it and get that movement in that you need. So I think, and really just as we, if you spend a day looking at your hands and what you do with them, it's kind of a disturbing activity. You know, if you're always gripping the steering wheel or you're always holding your phone, we've maybe got five movements that you do consistently with that hand during the day. So it's kind of a fun little thing to just pay attention one day on a work day and say, okay, what am I doing with my hands? Have little hash marks, you know, make little columns about mm-hmm. steer, steering wheel gripping, phone holding, keyboard, you know, claws, and then and pay attention and think about, well, if this is the only way I'm moving it, then this is how they're going to end up. And I won't be able to even open my own, you know, zipper. Forget about jars, right? <laughs> We're talking about getting dressed. Like, yeah, there's so many ways now we don't need to open jars. There's so many different things, but there's, you know, you want to be able to dress yourself. You want to be able right. to lace your own shoes. Right. Well, that's when we go to slip on pants and slip on shoes, right? Because exactly. it requires, I mean, and that really is a a particular thing. So also in the process of doing this interview, I'm going to kind of switch to adults a little bit. You know, there's, I think there's some confusion a little bit because the idea is, well, aren't I using my, I am using my hands all the time, right? I'm on the keyboard, I'm swiping, I'm pushing. So really I'm exercising my hands all the time. That was sort of the kind of the response I got to some of the things I was saying. And then, so then I had to clarify that you want to be able to do lots of different things with your hands. And so, yes, typing is sort of exercise, but it wouldn't necessarily be exercise that 
develops grip strength, right? Because what develops grip strength is going to be something where you're having to squeeze, you know, your hands together in some particular way and exert some amount of force. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, follow up from that is, well, you know, rock climbers do quite a bit of that, have very high grip strength, but they can also have overuse injuries, which is a good distinction just to say, anytime you're doing a lot of one thing, whether it's typing or really the only, you know, that the main thing you do is one particular sort of overhand grip and you're really developing it, you're going to be looking at what could essentially be thought of as an overuse situation. And so Mm -hmm. that we want hand, we want diversity in our hand use, just like we want to move it throughout the body. There's different grips, I guess, you know, as one way to think about it, right? There's, there's different coordinations of gripping it's not just all squeezing a ball and right pulling right you know, there's pinches there's pinches and different and it's and yeah and it's not always all five you know right. phalanges right. it's it's right it's different things so you can even sit like at your desk if you're in a meeting or you're on a zoom meeting you can get a pile of paper clips right and you can just sit there and attach those paper clips and make a chain and then you're working on your first and second you know, Mm -hmm. fingers and that strength, which is going to help with your gorilla hands later on. And then you can do things like, you know, how the gangsters always take the coins and flip them between their fingers in movies, you know. All the the gangsters I know do that. Yeah, me too. My gangsters (laughs) do that too. So, you know, do that with a pencil. Like no one can see me because this is audio, but you can start you know, just flipping a pencil through your fingers and it's uncoordinated at first and you're going to drop it a lot, which is why we do pencils and not glass wands or anything like that. But you just, you know, working those fingers in a plane that they are not used to increases that strength. You know, just picking up tiny things. You can just have a pile of beads and pick them up. And I know that totally sounds like an occupational therapist thing to do, but, you know, it's all the fingers matter in your grip strength. And so just, I think you're right. We tend to train just like our forearms mm-hmm. in those gripping exercises. And you can really end up with problems super duper quickly that way. Right. So, and especially like there's the grip of the hand, but you know, the hands facing you is different than the hands facing away from you. Those mm-hmm. are even technical, like they're technically different grips. And they, if you've got one that comes easy to you, don't write off working on your hand or grip strength. Think about all the different things that you do. One of my one of my favorite bodybuilding exercises from back in the day was submerging a hand in a sack of rice mm-hmm. and then opening and closing it against that resistance and it's and it's um so That's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, it's like a zen garden for the hands. I really feel like so much of this hand work and I've actually seen I've seen some some research on it where there's a particular pleasure we get from just utilizing our hands in creative in in fine motor ways that create you know where it was almost secondary to the creation itself it was the fact that you were utilizing your hands you know so just even doing something sort of mm-hmm. we'll call it mindless is really great for just nourishing this part of your body again it's like being barefoot you know like yes your hands are not shod like your feet are shod but they're also not really interacting with the world very much anymore. So they're sort of still 
understimulated like our feet inside Mm -hmm. shoes are. Okay. I wanted to just talk a little bit about a really cool part of this of this article that was left out for space. And I thought that you listeners out there might be interested. And this is how to take your own grip strength. Because we talk a lot about the importance of grip strength. You can find all the grip strength norms. But most of you aren't going to have access to a hand dynamometer, which is a tool used to measure grip strength. So you're not going to really know what your grip strength is. So the way that I like to recommend taking your grip strength is get an analog scale, a bathroom scale, and you can squeeze it. Well, that's a good and, idea. <laughs> yeah. So you get an analog scale and you ha- it has to be support. So you can actually take your individual hand and both hands together just to get a baseline for yourself. So if you take an analog bathroom scale, you can hold it with both hands and you can get a two hand measurement or you can hold it gently, support it with two hands and just squeeze one at a time. And that could give you your grip strength. The one thing you can't do with that particular measure is correlate it to hand dynamometer numbers. So you could not get what you you would not be able to see how you compare to grip strength averages because the hand dynamometer is a different grip than you have on scales. And also, you can't even say that there's one normal grip that you would find on a home scale because they're all different sizes. Right. And so the thick so you can't normalize it. But that doesn't, that's not to say that you can't go see what your grip strength is and then pay attention to working the hands and then also. You know, so working the hands with individual hand exercises like we were talking about, doing getting down on the ground, being on your hands more often. I talk about hanging ad nauseum. So I'm just really all for starting a hanging program, not only because it deals with the grip strength issue, but because in the same way that the lateral hip is very important to the foot and walking, the latissimus is basically the lateral hip of the upper body and it's going really underutilized in most people. And it's a major part of stabilizing the spine. So developing a hanging program, and you can see on my website, it, it's I've covered that in Move Your DNA, how you can make progression on that. Well, I like that idea. And also just even if you don't need a measurement, measurement that's a number, you can get like $12 pack of those different TheraPutties that start at the softest strength and go to the hardest and to start playing with them and start to notice, you know, as time goes on, like, hey, this one I used to hate playing with because it was really hard mm-hmm. and no fun. And now I can. Like, that's how I show younger clients, like, this is working. You know, your hands are getting stronger because you hated the color blue putty two weeks ago. You hated it. And now look at, you know, you can play with it. So, you know, even if you don't need a number, you can just progress on something. Right. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Thera putty. It's good. Get a qualitative sense. It's a good fidget too. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you can just get your sensory input and your hand strengthening all in one. Well, and then just to give a little nod to the second part. So we've talked a little bit about hands as hand strength as improving the quality of life right now. Then there's this other thing about the way hand strength 
could relate to all-time mortality. And I think, um, as we were mentioning before, one of the reasons it's not necessarily recommended to just like get a hand exercise or gripper and just do it all the time is that that really the idea or the understanding that we have about the why grip about why grip strength relates to all-time mortality has more to do with if your hands are strong, then you're probably doing more movement in general with more parts of your body, especially your arms. You know, you're you're staying more active overall. And that that is why there's a relationship mm. there to overall well-being rather than like there's something magical in the grip of your hands, you know, that's good for your heart and your hips, you know, like right. that's or or you your hands are so weak, you can't open up food anymore. So you're not going to live. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just it's more like a little more complex. than that. Yes. Right. Like so if you're doing good, if you're doing no more average on these measurements. Yeah. And so, I mean, and that's why I. I like that there's multiple approaches here. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you can start to be training your hands in these more refined, higher volume ways. And then there's looking at your exercise or training program or even just the way you use your body throughout the day and thinking about, I want to make sure that my arms aren't being neglected. Even in people who are, very active, otherwise very active. I find very weak arms can show up again and again. You know, like you could be extremely fit Mm -hmm. cyclist, right? Where you're doing so much lower body, but that won't necessarily be affecting the strength that you have in your arms, you know, to like be able to hold your body weight in hanging or moving in this particular way. It's true. So to be thinking about in the same way you know, you can stand on both legs and stand on a single leg that you could hang from both arms and maybe hang from a single arm. Now you're not only addressing grip strength, but you really are making sure that your fitness level, which we think of as like a whole body state, that that fitness is sort of distributed well throughout your body. And and I've done little things, you know, I've obviously talked about this before in different books. Like we always have some sort of hanging apparatus in our house, even little rock holds, you know, mm-hmm. rock climbing holds. Rock just grips, yeah. Rock grips and putting them in above doorways. It allows it allows you to use these parts and challenge your grip. And that's a whole different grip, right? Like that's not even a real closed hand grip. So again, there's many different grips that you could be working on. You can pick a few to play with as an essential part of your program. Right. I really like that chart you made. And I think it was for the Grow Wild book. And it was the ways, you know, like kind of a little assessment, like how am I moving? Oh, the activity tracker. Yes. Thank you. And and like I mentioned earlier, I think just like doing one of those for your day, doing a self-assessment and being really honest with yourself about, you know, the different ways you just kind of make note of different ways you move your hands and then look at look at other people and other professions, see how they're moving your hands. And that can give you some ideas about like, oh, well, I'm not doing that or that's more difficult for me. That's always just helpful too, is just like, how am I really doing it? Because we, we go through our day without a lot of thought often mm-hmm. and that's just what we do. But I think it just takes taking that step back and looking at like, what am I really doing it's pretty eye-opening. It's like looking for assessing your, your movement diet for vitamin grip. 
Right. How much vitamin grip do you have in your diet? And so even if you work out, are you doing things like if you're choosing to do weights, are you doing thing on things on cables, you know, where you can grab and pull? Mm-hmm. Are you using pull down bars? Are you even if you don't do kettlebells to buy or find, you know, like a five or 10 pound one just to walk around carrying it? You don't have to do any more spectacular exercise than that, nor do you have to buy a kettlebell. You can fill a bag of a sack of potatoes that you have in your kitchen. Right. I, I have a hula hoop and I just sort of mindlessly hula hoop a lot in my house, but I could see just going around and finding something that you already have that's weighty. And instead of putting, you know, a book, we go to the library, we got a bag of books, instead of lopping that strap over the shoulder to take it off and to hold it, just grip it with your hand and let it dangle from your hands, right? Like we don't necessarily need you to do more things, but you're just adding, you're picking the grip version of the things that you're already doing to make sure that this area is not being neglected. Yeah, exactly. And to remember that grip translates to all finger movement, all hand movement, not just what we equate in our hands as um, hanging on to something. Yeah, yeah. So that it all matters. Before we go, is there a single life task that you have found is harder for folks when they don't have grip strength? You mentioned getting dressed. And so I'm just thinking about, I mean, I, I know for people who have frozen shoulder, you know, being able to get put a shirt on, you know, can be so challenging. Is there anything like that with grip where there's some everyday task that we might take for granted? Yeah, for because for dressing, it's more for kids that really struggle with that when, when they don't have that grip strength. So that's more of a kid thing. I think it's, boy, that's a really good question. And I guess what we would have to do is remove a couple of everyday conveniences to see mm-hmm. what would those that be? uh yeah. well your grocery cart that right. would be one that would be a, a big one i think is your grocery cart is that arm strength or what i mean what is what well, is that's because the... you're you're holding things you're holding you know even just yeah. like if you carry your bags or your whole groceries without being bagged out to your car you know i've had people stop me and say do you need help when I'm carrying bags to my yeah. car and it's just like, cause I'm not pushing my cart filled with bags to my right. car. Right. Right. So carrying so, is one basically like carrying is a big one. Yeah. Yeah. And we just, we would have to remove that to see like, Whoa, I'm, this is hard. I'm not that good at that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just think kind of what are those everyday conveniences that I would need to, to remove, to see that I need to increase my hand strength. So I don't have a good answer for that, except the kind of stuff you use daily. Remove it from the mm -hmm. equation and see how you do then. Yeah. I mean, and that is, this is the problem that we have in these modern times where we don't really recognize the cost of these everyday conveniences until they're gone. I mean, we can appreciate we have them, but there's been sort of a steady decline in needing to use your arms. So how do you feel as a therapist at this point? One of the takeaways of that article that we were talking about seven years ago, where there was a decline in average grip strength, one of the takeaways was, well, then we should be lowering the norms of grip strength. Like that was the honest to God takeaway. 
because and like I, there was someone in an article about the research article who had said, well, like we don't we want to make sure that we're not having people do more therapy than what's needed, you know, what's needed to get them. And I mean, it was like such a it was a strange, it was a strange perspective. It was a different perspective than yeah. I had. How do how do you feel as a clinician if there is this like steady decline in strength? And arguably, modern life doesn't require very much of us physically. And further, physical fitness is defined as having enough strength to do tasks of everyday life. And part of everyday life is is conveniences. How do you feel about lowering the norms? Like, how does that resonate with you? As a therapist and a human, it does not sit well with me. It's kind of frightening to me because I know we do base a lot of our, oh, I need to do this out of whatever article we saw in Prevention or the New York Times about like, hey, this matters or this doesn't matter right? Um, because we don't have that critical thinking as a whole to kind of dig deeper into like, does it really matter? I don't mm-hmm. know. So it's it's scary and disturbing to me because- there's the, there's two sides. There is the everyday functionality, and then the the norm. Like those are two different things. Mm-hmm. And so for us to to base like, well, this is this is all I need to do because the norm says that's all I need to do. But you know these conveniences might not always be here. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and also the human body is so fascinating and interesting. And I feel like it deserves that movement. You know, it deserves mm-hmm. that, all of that. So that's just, I wish we wouldn't do those things, but I guess we do as norm makers, <laughs> whatever <laughs> they are. Stop well, it, norm makers, just stop it. <laughs> well, and I think too, what you also said there was very, you know, it was the glimmer that caught my ear, which is to me, that idea between everyday use and the norms is the intersection of the importance of grip strength in everyday life and the importance of grip strength to all-time mortality is sometimes the consequence of the inconvenience might not show up in the everyday because we have all these like an endless number of tools being invented mm-hmm. and created but the cost of those shows up in a way that doesn't relate to your grip strength. Correct. And I think that that's, in a nutshell, why I prioritize the strength of all, all of the parts and all the parts working together in a system is because the importance of movement transcends the individual part and the function that it's doing. Mm-hmm. It's about pumping the entire machine around you know it's about all these it's it's about the it's about the functions that we don't consider when we think about the hands we think about buttons and pencils and monkey bars but we don't necessarily think about the heart exactly you know know, so it's or the the, the sensory system or the nervous our nervous system our sensory system so yeah all of that matters and and then we we boil it down to do i want quantity or quality both 
because yeah, you, you want to maximize it. You want to maximize both. you. You want to maximize it, but I think really just I want to be able to do all the things that I can. So yeah. with my body and all the things that you want to do. Thank you so yeah. much. It was so nice to. Um, I know it was fun hanging out with you. Where can the listeners find you if they want to? <laughs> your house. I have. I, Where I'm do you live? Did you give everyone your address? <laughs> Yes. Okay. Get your pencils ready and they better be normal size pencils. <laughs> no, I'm in, I'm in Colorado still in Lafayette and just developing some stuff, but right now flying. <laughs> I salute you. And I think that's amazing. It was good to see you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was good to hang out. Thanks. Hi, my name is Rakaia Mustafa from England. This has been Move Your DNA with Katie Bowman, a podcast about movement. We hope you find the general information in this podcast informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and should not be used as such. Our theme music was performed by Dan McCormack. This podcast is produced by Brock Armstrong and it is transcribed by Annette Yen. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to audio and find out more about Katie, her books and her movement programs at nutritiousmovement.com. Thank you. You want to take a pause? Danny's stepping away. That was like a date I was on once. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, wait. I wonder if you're going to the bathroom. I walked away. The dog was going to create a ruckus. I guess I did. I like that you look back though, like, well, you're just going to keep talking. I'm going to go. Sorry. Didn't trigger me at all. Oh, so oh, funny. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Okay. What was I saying?